Hello, everyone. This is Karen Aslan. Today, I am pleased to be talking with John Cortliff, who is a partner, managing director, and portfolio manager at ICM Asset Management. John has been working with ICM since 2011, and he is responsible for the management and oversight of ICM's investment fund platform and certain asset management activities within ICM's Canadian portfolio, as well as being a member of ICM's leadership team responsible for the strategic direction of the firm. Good morning, John. How are you? Great. How are you doing, Karen? I'm well. And how is the weather in Calgary today? You know what? It's actually pretty nice out today. It's been uh, it's been a good week, anyways, as far as winter goes in Calgary. Oh, good. And how are Calgarians doing overall? I mean, we could just start with that. How how is the mood of the Calgary people? You know, it's I think it's pretty tough right now. Um, you know, COVID is is not the real issue that we're facing in Calgary. COVID is, you know, an issue that the world is facing right now, but will eventually emerge from. And, and you know, as the world emerges, Calgary is going to emerge into a world that is quite different and, uh, and challenged by energy prices and lack of capital investment in new energy projects, which has historically driven the economy of Alberta. So, I think uh, I think people are really starting to realize that that the world is is very different now than it was even ten months ago. Um, although this this challenging period has been ongoing really since two thousand fourteen, so a uh, bit of a somber mood at times in Calgary. Yeah, I'm sure. And are you seeing some people or colleagues that are pivoting out of oil and gas and using their talent pools to look at um, other types of businesses to get involved in? Yeah, of course. I mean, we're we're a good example of that. But um, but there are many firms that uh, that are outside of the energy space. But um, but you know, when when a single industry uh, accounts for so much of the employment employment force and and just number of jobs in the city, it takes a while to pivot. So you know that transition will happen. I'm I'm really confident in that, and and I think Calgary is a great place to be. But uh, but I think that uh, that that transition will take some time. Thanks, John. So let's begin by you telling us the background of ICM's founder, Bruce Tim, and what led Bruce to establishing the firm in 2003. Uh, really opportunity. Bruce had been working for a number of years for, uh, for a firm that had, had grown quite substantially. And when he joined that firm initially, he managed a group of clients that, uh, that you know, when, when the firm that Bruce was with ultimately sold to Prudential Real Estate, didn't want to be managed by a big insurance company. So he spun himself out and uh, and ultimately retained that that core client base that ultimately was ICM's client base from 2003 when ICM was founded until 2011. Uh, and Bruce moved his family to to Canada, back to Calgary at that time. He's Calgarian, born and raised. And uh, and I joined the firm in 2011 along with one of our partners, Spencer Patton, in the United States. And we set about raising capital in Canada to uh, to deploy initially exclusively into the United States and, uh, and now into Canada, Mexico and the United States. So uh, platform's grown substantially and uh, and really Bruce continues to manage the core group of clients that, uh, that, that he founded the firm with in 2003. And so you've been there for nine years now. Um, what attracted you to the firm yourself personally? Yeah, again, opportunity. Um, it was it was a small uh, small family firm in a way, and uh, and 
you know, I, I saw an opportunity to, to be a part of something that, uh, that had the bones to scale. And, uh, and that's really what attracted me to it. Um, you know, Bruce is, uh, is, has a long history of, uh, real estate investment and we've assembled a team now that, uh, uh, that are pretty well healed. And, um, yeah, I think that we've, we've, you know, we've tripled the size of the firm since, uh, since 2012, which is, uh, which is no small accomplishment, I suppose, but, uh, but we've got much grander visions than that as well. So I uh, still see a lot of opportunity ahead. And how many people are there now, John? Uh, we've got over 50 staff now. So when I first joined, I was, I was basically employee number five or six. And, uh, and now we've got over 50 people. Wow. Okay. So that's some pretty significant growth. Now you're managing over a billion dollars in assets and you know, you're known for offering investment opportunities focused on real estate in Canada, the U.S. and Mexico, as well as private equity and venture capital. But, you know, I think people thought about ICM as a real estate focused firm with cross-border real estate investing and having an expertise in that area. But you really are offering solutions in the whole alternative investment space. And that's really evident with some new things that you're doing lately that aren't real estate focused. So, if you were to describe the firm as an, you know, asset management firm, the focus isn't just real estate. And and what is the plan for other strategies? And why do you think you have the expertise to look at these different types of alternatives and not just be in that one real estate focused silo? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good question. I think uh, I think you know, as a firm, we have uh, we have ambition of becoming a a, a uh, you know, a, a more full solution, if you will, alternative investment manager and alternatives generally entails real estate, uh, private credit, private equity, and, uh, and infrastructure most often and, and sort of various iterations thereof. So, you know, we, we have real estate certainly as our core business and, and, you know, was the, the core of the firm as, uh, as, as it was founded. But in 2017, we brought on one of our partners, Dave Vanka, who, who is building out our private equity division. And Dave has a, a long track record in, in Calgary and, and Canada is, uh, uh, you know, in, in the investment management business and has spent his the most well, the entirety of his career not in real estate specifically. So, um, so you know, we're, we're building the team as we need to, uh, to be able to additional or offer additional opportunities to, to investors. And we see that continuing to expand. You're right. Real estate is the core of our business and has historically been. We've got, uh, we've got a venture capital fund that, uh, that we launched a couple of years ago uh, that is fully deployed now. Dave has recently come out with a music royalty fund. Uh, we do do some, some private debt exclusively focused on real estate at this point in time, but we intend to sort of step beyond that as well as, uh, as we scale the firm and as we bring on the expertise to be able to do so. Okay. Music royalty. That's interesting. That's a very niche strategy. I, I like, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that uh, later on. So if we were just to go back to real estate and the firm's overall views around real estate factoring in the pandemic, what would those views be? Um, you know, if you break it down by property type, I think that's, that's probably the way that most people think about, think about real estate and, and, you know, certainly, uh, the press has, has really been all over retail and hospitality as the big losers, if you will, out of, uh, out of COVID, you know, we're not quite in agreement with that. I think that retail certainly has been challenged for a number of years and COVID has accelerated the, uh, the demise of certain types of real estate or certain types of retail real estate. 
but experiential retail is still going to be important. You know, restaurants and places where people gather and socialize. Those those types of uh, of, of offerings are important for uh, for culture. Um, so we think those bounce back. Hospitality as well. You know, certainly operating hospitality properties right now are are. A, a real challenge and will continue to be for, for a, a number of, you know, a couple of years probably after uh, the, the pandemic has cleared. Uh, but we think that, uh, that eventually people will travel again, whether for work or pleasure. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get on a plane and go on vacation. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the flip to that is, uh, yeah. is, is, you know, industrial real estate has, uh, has really been not only resilient, but uh, but accelerated and benefited from uh, from some of the trends that uh, that have emerged in COVID, and you know many of the same trends that uh, that are are leading to challenges in the retail space are you know accelerants ultimately for for industrial space. and you know multifamily apartments, for example, you know people always need a roof over their head, so that has remained resilient. Although you know rent and rent growth uh, may be an interesting story over the next few years as as we do, we are in an economic downturn, whether uh, whether COVID-induced or not. And uh, an office is, is the last major property type, and I saved that for last because that's where there seems to be the biggest question marks right now. And for every every expert you ask that uh, that tells you that the office is dead, there's another that says, you know, companies can't wait to get back to work. And, you know, we find ourselves a little bit more in the latter camp. I think uh, work flexibility is, is going to be, you know, um, enhanced as a result of COVID, but, uh, but we don't think that the office is dead. And in fact, you know, the, the per square footage, uh, required per employee probably goes up as, uh, as you know, the, 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 the residual effect of social distancing carries on for, for a period beyond the pandemic. So, you know, broadly, we're optimistic about, uh, about the outlook for, for property. Um, you know, we have spent the last two years really building a pipeline of industrial opportunity. So, you know, fortunately, we found ourselves in the right place at the right time with uh, with COVID, and uh, it's allowed us to execute on some great opportunities over the last number of months. You've recently invested in a large industrial development in in Glendale, Arizona. Can you talk a little bit about that at the transaction and how it led to an asset that you now own? Sure. So we've we've been focused on the Phoenix market for for a couple of years. Um, I'm, and this Glendale acquisition is our first investment in in the Phoenix market. In fact, uh, and it's it's actually with uh, with a development partner that uh, that the principals of ICM have known for the better part of twenty years. So a huge amount of our business is relationship based, mm-hmm. uh, especially on the deal origination side. Um, you know the types of off market opportunities that we are seeking to acquire for for investors uh, take a long time to uh, to to. Uh, to ultimately develop, and uh, and that's a that's an instance where you know we've been speaking with the principals of uh, of our development partner in in Phoenix for you know about eighteen months in uh, in in generating that lead and that opportunity, and uh, and we see doing a number of other deals with uh, with that group on uh, uh, in the future as well. So uh, exciting opportunity for us. It's a two hundred and seventy thousand square foot uh, smaller bay, if you will, uh, industrial uh, development. Uh, so by smaller bay, I mean anything between sort of 10,000 and 50,000 square feet. Most of the other, uh, most of the other, other industrial uh, buildings going up in that submarket are really tailoring to the, you know, several hundred thousand to, to 500,000 square foot user. 
so the major distribution logistics types of facilities. And we felt that there was an underserved niche in uh, in that sort of ten to fifty thousand square foot user size. So, uh, so that's what we're targeting, and, and we're very optimistic that uh, that we've we've got a good investment there, even though we've only been in it now for uh, for about four or five months. <laughs> okay. And so if we were to talk about your investor base, can you describe the type of investor that is with you and how you've been managing those relationships through the pandemic in terms of, are you communicating with them more? Are you finding that investors have been concerned about their holdings with you? Are you doing anything different in terms of being more proactive with investors? Just how that's been going overall. Yeah, I mean, our investor base really spans from uh, from sort of retail clients all the way through to institutions and um, and everything in between. I mean, the, the firm was founded on the back of uh, a number of family office relationships in, in 2003. And those clients continue to be an important part of our business today. And, and we've expanded that uh, that platform as well with a number of wealthy Canadian families that, uh, that, that have, have invested with us. Um, so it really depends on on the type of client uh, and and how we communicate with those varying types of clients. It really differs. So on the retail front, obviously a lot of it's more um, uh, you know uh, standardized, if you will, uh, reporting you know on a quarterly basis and uh, and you know much more uh, uh, of a template, if you will, for for reporting standards. When it comes to sort of family relationships, it's much more personal. So a lot more phone calls, a lot more individual one-on-one type contact. Uh, a lot of people have questions about uh, about their holdings with us, but uh, but also just generally about you know property and and you know what's going on in the alternative inve- investment space generally and where we see opportunity. Um, and then the institutions, they're they're invested with us exclusively in specific projects. So again. Uh, very detailed reporting when it comes to, uh, to to the specific project, but uh, but a lot of communication about you know why we feel that uh, that we're in a good spot with uh, with the investments that they have with us, and and continually obviously pursuing the opportunity in in similar spaces. So um, you know how you communicate depends on the client and depends on the individual as well. So when you think about other managers in the asset management space relative to ICM. How would you describe how you are differentiated from them? I think it's, you know, there's a couple of ways to, to make money in investing and, and you know, it's, it's breadth and depth and, uh, and obviously depth of knowledge in any one market and any one property type, for example, is, is, is critical in, uh, in, in being able to execute successfully. Uh, and then there's breadth, which is being able to, to continually be monitoring and evaluating certain markets or property types against other markets or property types. And, uh, and we, we, we try to span that bridge, if you will. Uh, breadth comes from us corporately being focused on you know, many markets across North America and, and really all property types. And, uh, and depth comes you know, more specifically from our operating partners. Uh, so we are direct investing in property with, uh, with partners in most cases where that partner has a level of uh, expertise in that market and property type that we could never expect to have, but, uh, but we leverage their experience and continually shop the different property types and different markets where we are focused against each other. So, uh, so we're constantly looking at, you know, opportunities in Atlanta or Dallas or Mexico city or, or Calgary, for example. And, you know, if, if opportunities we're seeing in Calgary don't stack up, against opportunities we're seeing in Atlanta, Dallas, or Mexico City, for example, 
it means that I get less capital to deploy, but, uh, but that's fine because uh, ultimately it means that, uh, that my partners are originating great opportunities in those other markets that, uh, that are simply winning the day when we compare it to what we see here. So, uh, so that's, that's how we operate. I think that makes us quite unique and, uh, and gives us a real-time view on, uh, on what's going on in, uh, in different markets at all times and continually trying to unearth the best opportunities for our investors. You know, it's always nice to ask a manager, a group, what they think their edge is or what it is that they're doing different or, or, um, or special. And um, depth and breadth are, are great ways to look at that. So would you consider yourselves to be opportunistic investors, basically? Yeah, uh, opportunistic, uh, but on a bit more of a scale. So we're not looking at, you know, one-off deals and, and really, um, uh, you know, I mean, we do evaluate deals on a, on a one-off basis, but, uh, but we are, you know, themed right now, if you will. And, and I mentioned earlier that we've spent a couple of years developing an industrial pipeline and, you know, we're really focused on, on that, that property type and, and really across markets, you know, in, in, across Canada, the U.S. and in Mexico. Uh, so thematically, that's, uh, that's been our bent for the last, uh, for the last you know, couple of years and, and particularly last, uh, last 18 months. Um, uh, but within, you know, within our, our opportunity set at any given point in time, yeah, we are opportunistic. And again, that comes down to not having, if you will, a several hundred million dollar allocation that, uh, that we need to get filled, if you will, to um, you know, U.S. distribution and logistics, for example. So even within industrial, we're, we're evaluating opportunities and, and, you know, opportunities with different partners in different markets uh, against each other at all times as well. But, uh, but you know, we, we do have a, a, you know, a broader theme that we are trying to stick to, which is, is the development of future industrial opportunity. Right. Okay. And, you know, is there anything in particular that your team is excited about right now that you're looking at for the future? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think again, it's not something new, um, but, uh, but something that, uh, that we, we, you know, saw an opportunity that we began pursuing and, and COVID has really to us anyways, seemed to enhance that opportunity. And, uh, and that would be sort of our Mexico industrial platform. Um, you know, Mexican industrial to us was always a, a great place to be uh, a number of years ago. Mexico actually became a lower cost producer than China. <clears throat> and so in, in doing so, I already had a competitive edge. And, uh, and if we remember back to the earliest days of, of the pandemic, you know, the concern in the North American economy was not, you know, hey, would we have a, a wave of COVID, let alone two. Um, the, the concern really was, was supply chain disruption. And it, it forced a lot of companies who had already been thinking at a very early stage about uh, diversifying their supply chains and, and building supply chain resiliency to, uh, to, to, to focus more on that. And, uh, and Mexico being immediately adjacent to ultimately the largest market in the world in the United States is, uh, is, is, you know, very, very well poised to, uh, to be the beneficiary of some of that redistribution of, uh, of manufacturing. Uh, it's a trend called nearshoring more specifically where companies are bringing manufacturing capability closer to home. Okay. And distribution, obviously, is a, is a critical component of that as well. So we're very bullish on, uh, on both manufacturing and distribution in, uh, in Mexico, and then uh, as well as distribution, obviously, throughout the United States. And how are you accessing that opportunity? 
Uh, again, through relationships that take uh, take you know a lot of time to develop. So uh, so we've got a, a very a very compelling and exciting opportunity before us that uh, that we hope to be able to announce in the next sort of five six weeks. But uh, but ultimately, it's with uh, a developer that we've been courting and working with for for you know over eighteen months, and uh, and it really comes down to. Scott Myers, who's our partner focused on uh, on Latin America, he uh, he spends a significant amount of time in Mexico every month, and and just meeting with different op- or different partners and and originating opportunity in that way. So it's uh, it's it's really it's really ground up. You know, you meet somebody for a first coffee, much as as you and I met, and uh, and relationships grow from there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, wow. To be continued. <clears throat> we'll look forward to hearing about that. And um, now I know that, you know, your, your venture capital fund is closed. And is there any other venture capital opportunities that you're still looking at? And will you launch another venture capital fund, do you think, in the future? Because there's so many great opportunities that have limited access to capital. And it's really great to see a group like yourselves you know, where you have supported businesses and, and, um, and that's closed now. So I'm just wondering if you would open that up and if you are in fact seeing some really good venture cap opportunities in Canada. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we, we had intentions when we, uh, when we launched that, uh, that, that fund of, uh, of leaving it open for longer, but, uh, but ultimately it was, uh, it was a fund that, uh, that most uniquely benefited Alberta investors because of uh, a government tax credit program that uh, that was in place under the uh, under the NDP government. Um, the the Conservatives were re-elected and uh, and uh, put an end to the to the program. So we we closed down the fund. We we invested in a number of very exciting companies, and some have done exceptionally well through uh, through COVID and and uh, you know in, in venture capital. You always expect some some winners and uh, and some that uh, you know fair okay and others that don't do so well at all and uh and and that'll be the case with uh, with our fund as well but uh but our winners look very very good for us right now and um and you know i, I think it's an exciting space i think uh you know we'll, we'll probably return to the space in uh in, in the years ahead but uh, but right now our focus with dave anyways is uh is on our, our music royalty fund which is uh which is occupying his time so uh, so venture capital, certainly uh, an exciting place to be. Lots of great opportunities, as you said. We see some of them in, in, in Calgary here and, and really hear great stories from across the country, but uh, but not something that we plan to uh, to bring to market in the next few months. Okay, fair enough, John. So tell us about the Music Royalty Fund. You know, it's 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 an interesting space. It's it's one that uh, that is really gaining a lot of traction institutionally, and uh, and you're you're hearing more and more about. Um, uh, about music royalties as, as streaming is, uh, has grown so significantly over the last number of years. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago, sort of six, seven years ago that, uh, that, you know, music labels were really struggling to, uh, to turn profit and, uh, and, you know, physical CDs at the time were, uh, were in, in decline and, um, you know, downloading of music was, uh, was, was much larger than streaming, but, uh, but as, uh, you know, as, as, you know, Wi-Fi and, uh, and uh, connection has improved globally, uh, streaming has absolutely taken off uh, exponential growth rates over the last uh, five, six years. And, and what that's led to is, uh, is the rebirth, if you will, of, uh, of, of a different kind of music industry where, uh, 
where ultimately the rights to songs are uh, are available for sale, and that's what we're capitalizing on. So every time, you know, uh, an individual streams a song, um, our investors make a bit of money. We're buying catalogs of uh, of, of songs uh, of particular artists and uh, and and building that uh, that portfolio to uh, to hopefully have uh, sort of long term predictable cash flows for for investors. Is anyone else doing that in Canada? Not really in Canada. There are uh, there are a number of public companies that uh, that are that are doing it as well, uh, mainly out of the U.S. Um, but uh, but we are are quite unique in uh, in what we've brought to market in Canada in that respect. Okay, and are you getting a good response to the strategy? Very good. Yeah, it's it's only been it's only been a few months since we launched the strategy, and uh, and you know we should have the fund up to you know ten million by year end or so, and uh, and. Ultimately, with you know what we feel is uh, a lot of room to run, uh, we're finding a lot of success with wealth managers and uh, and high net worth investors that uh, that are you know viewing this as as truly a diversified opportunity uh, and and completely uncorrelated with anything that they've seen or have in their portfolios currently. So, uh, really, I think we've tapped into something that's uh, that's pretty special. Wow, I think that's really neat. I mean, you've really got some diversification here in terms of what you're looking at, what you're investing in. You clearly have a talented team that each can focus on these different areas. Your originators sound like those are like longstanding deep relationships. So, you know, I'm kind of hearing this really great story that at the beginning, and you're even taking advantages of what's going on with COVID and you're, you're, you're pivoting into being able to do that. So a lot of positives uh, coming out of this conversation. Um, I'm really glad that we took the time to have the call today. And I guess in closing, I would just like to ask you if you were to high level talk to sophisticated self-directing investors that are listening to this, that are thinking about their portfolios, thinking about, you know, where they should be looking to place new capital, what, what would you tell them? You know, I, I would say that, uh, that, you know, what we find with a lot of our clients and our, our families and, and high net worth investors is that, uh, is that, you know, they, they either built a very successful business and sold it or still hold that business, but are seeking to diversify their holdings. And, you know, they are, they are either first, second or third generation in many instances. And, uh, uh, and they often do not have a great deal of expertise outside of the area where they made their wealth. And, uh, and you know, what we find from, from our investors is that they really appreciate and leverage uh, our experience in, uh, in, in real estate and, and the alternative investment space more broadly to provide them with opportunities that, uh, that, that they may not be best suited to uncover themselves. Uh, so we're we're a layer between them and ultimately the the opportunity that uh, that allows them to feel comfortable and, and confident in uh, in deploying capital into a space they may otherwise not be experts in. So um, I would say that that uh, that's a pretty critical component of our business and and the value that we provide for for those types of investors. Yeah, well said, John. And lastly, as a managing partner of the firm. You know, I can tell, and I've known you for many years now, um, you always seem quite passionate and excited about what's going on at ICM. And it's clear to me that you you still are. Um, if you were to describe, you know, that feeling of being excited about your work, 
just for people right now that maybe aren't, you know, I don't know. Can you comment on being positive about work and about thinking about the future? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it, you know, you have to be, uh, you have to be positive in this game. Otherwise you never get a dollar out the door. Um, but, uh, but <laughs> no, I, I think, I think we've got, uh, we've got a, a lot of great things going on, uh, at, uh, at ICM. And, and I think that, you know, on top of having a lot of great things going on as a firm, I think that, uh, that we've also got uh, a great opportunity, a great market opportunity in front of us. Uh, you know, broadly alternatives have been accepted by, you know, institutional investors for, for a couple of decades and, and really increasingly so in the last decade. And, and, you know, there's a, there's a, a large subset of investors, you know, whether it be family offices or high net worth investors or uh, wealth advisors, for example, that, uh, that are, are really only just getting introduced to alternative assets. So I think as a firm, we are positioned exceptionally well. So, you know, that's very exciting in addition to, uh, to the, the deep level excitement that we have with that with respect to the opportunities we're reviewing at any given point in time. Great. Thanks so much, John. And again, thanks for being here. I look forward to uh, chatting with you again in the new year. And I'd like to take this opportunity to wish you and your family and your team at ICM continued safety and, and a great holiday season. Thanks very much, Karen. Thanks for having me and, and same back to you. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye. In closing, I would like to invite you to get in touch with any comments or questions you have about our interview series. This is our last podcast interview for 2020, and I would like to take this opportunity to wish everyone continued safety, good health, gratitude, and much joy throughout the holiday season. I know many of us will not be sharing the holidays with our families like we have in the past. However, I also know our family bonds will hold strong, regardless of being separate from one another. Our next interview will be in January with Richard Pilisoff from RPIA. Wishing everyone a wonderful holiday season. Bye for now.